0: and we be changed. It's only through your word, it's only through your gospel that we can be changed. We pray for that, God. In Jesus' name. Alright, awesome. We're going through this series on the gospel of Mark. We're going through the series on the gospel of Mark on the king's reign king's reign. And we're here now in chapter 4, and what we're going to see is it's all about the king's word. It's all about the word of the king. And if I could uh, could say it like this, there's a story of a a father and son. Um, And a father is uh, cooking, he's making cookies, he's baking with his son. And uh, so they make the, uh, the cookie dough together and they're making it, and um, the son, though, asks, like, all right, can, can we have a little bit right now? And he said, oh, well, there's, you know, there's, we're not supposed to do that. You know, there's, there's raw eggs in there, and, you know, you know I, I, I will partake of that, you know, myself, and most people probably would. <laughs> but uh, it's the, uh, the illustration ends up coming up with, with a child to, of the gospel, and he tells it to him like this. He says, alright, now son, if I, if I tell you, alright, that you shouldn't have this cookie dough, even though, alright, this is delicious, I say, alright, just don't, don't
1: have it. Mm.
0: What, what would, what would you say? And he says, alright, you know, I, you're my father, I know you have my best interest at heart, you know, you're, uh,
1: alright, I should trust you. I should yeah, trust you. You gave me your trust
0: says, alright, you know, you goes, alright, what if there's, what if there's poison in this cookie dough, alright, and then he says, alright, though, that you're going to trust you, even though this is something really delicious, good to eat, you're going to say, alright, I'm going to trust you, though, because you're my dad, you know, he said it in a different way, a different way as a child, but he says, alright, he says, alright, this is the same way with the gospel, that we have to trust God's word to us, Trust. And we surrender to the word of the king. And I think that's, that's what Mark wants us to take away with Jesus' words. He wants to take away Jesus' words, the king's words, to us. So we're going to look at this, this parable, and there's under three headings. What the parable is itself, the purpose of the parable that Jesus tells us, and then Jesus gives us the interpretation. Jesus interprets it for us, which is is very helpful, unlike many many of his other parables. His encouragement is to surrender to his word. So let's let's go there. Let's go to verse 1. It says, again, he began to teach them beside the sea. Again, he began to teach them beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got to a boat and sat in on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. You know, Michael, would you mind clicking the slide for me? Chelsea was going to, but we didn't coordinate. Our normal guy does slides is is out, uh, out at work. But, yeah. There you go. Click one more. One more. Perfect. One more. Yes, sorry about that. All right. So this is the Sea of Galilee today. So you can picture maybe 2,000 years ago, maybe what it looked like, Uh that he's there, people are on the coast there, and he's teaching by the sea. Uh If you want to click one more time for me, thank you, Michael. And then we see right here, this is is the Sea of Galilee, Uh and uh, so Jesus, kind of his home base, was Capernaum, up here in the north. Up in here in the north, Capernaum, you might not be able to see, but take my word for it, it's up there. Bethsaida is actually up there, which the Bible talks about to Bethsaida. He goes there. And this right here was actually very Gentile territory, uh, non-Jewish. And he ends up actually going here later to minister, we'll see in the Gospel of Mark. In uh, the next chapter, in a few weeks, we'll see that he goes to the land of the Gerasenes, which is maybe in this area. And he has this uh, amazing encounter with a demon-possessed man there that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, So yeah, he's up there in the north. He's teaching to them. And it says that he begins to teach them. There's this large crowd, and he gets out into a boat into the sea. So maybe he's not crushed by the crowd. We talked about last week, how they were flocking to him. They were swarming to him. So he gets out in a boat, and he's teaching them there. Maybe the acoustics are a little bit better as well there he was teaching them it says in many things in parables parables can you click one slide for me michael a parable is a vivid illustration from everyday life communicating spiritual truth so parables are not allegory allegory is a story that is every word of it every detail means something spiritual the parable doesn't necessarily mean that. It, not every single thing in it has this meaning, has this spiritual meaning it's trying to convey. But it's these vivid illustrations. So, Jesus, right, he talks a lot about things about everyday life. He talks about, alright, someone finds, loses a coin. Uh-huh. Someone has a stray son or daughter. Uh-huh. Someone has a sheep. He talks about being the good shepherd. Uh-huh. So, these are illustrations that they've seen in their everyday life. He talks about farming. So it's an agrarian culture. So Jesus uses vivid, everyday life situations to communicate spiritual truth. Parables are one of the hardest things to understand in Scripture. They're one of the most most difficult things of all the different genres of Scripture. But this this is a great parable for us because it gives us a key, in a sense, to all the parables. And of all of the parables in the Bible um, that Jesus says, this one in Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that it all takes place as the first parable. And they all cover it. They all spend an extended amount of time covering it. And Jesus, unlike all of his other parables, actually tells us what it means. And very much, um, he really clearly explains what it is. So it's very helpful for us. It's very helpful for us because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're always, they're looking at the life of Jesus and what he does, but from a different perspective. It's like looking at this beautiful jewel or a diamond from different facets. You see different angles of it. And so they're all different angles, but they each, this one, cover this. They say it at the beginning. So this is an important parable. The sower traps. Uh, must use what farmland he de- has right here. We get from the sower and the sower goes out to sow. He goes out to sow and We notice first that it's he, he does the seed all over the place. It's all over. It's, he sows broadly and generously Just all over the place Which is very interesting you know if I was a farmer and, and which I'm not, Um, and they would say, all right, you know, hey, I'm going to, there's this thorny part, and there's the path over here. Uh Why don't I just try to do mainly on the part that's good soil? Mm -hmm. No, but he is, he sows graciously, generously. Mm -hmm. There's some application for us there Mm -hmm. in our sharing of the word. He wants to give all the soil a chance. The sower wants to give all the soil a chance in western agriculture um, you first till the soil and then you sow the seed you don't happen that doesn't happen here and that's because in antiquity in an eastern uh, farming at that time you would do the that first you would just scatter the seed first and then till the soil in this thing you don't need to till the soil sometimes you wouldn't you just scattered roughly just in case you were wondering there. So a little, a little fun, fun fact there. So we, we can hear these, and the, the interpretation is coming. Um, but we end up seeing that this is overall, it's a positive message for us. It's overall positive. Why? Three soils don't end up producing fruit. But a fourth, the fourth one does. And it bears 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit, 30, 60, 100 times. So the average um, amount that uh, farming in Palestine 2,000 years ago, uh, we know this somehow, usually produced a 10-fold result. So a 5-fold would be kind of like, eh, it wasn't really a good year. A 15-fold might be an incredibly good year. So usually it would be like a 10-fold. But Jesus said, all right, it's this, this, yeah, could be 100, 60-fold, 30-fold. That's an amazing problem. That's better than, than anything that even the best would happen. So that's why I have to an encouraging thing. And we'll continue to get more into that as Jesus unpacks this interpretation. So it's encouraging to hear. And then he says in verse 9, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says it to these people. Huge crowds. And most of them don't get it. They don't get it and they don't stay around to ask Jesus, hey, please explain this to us. Yeah. They don't. So he challenges them to hear it.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, we can we can actually hear Jesus' words, but then not fully really hear them. You know what I'm saying? We have to seek. God is hiding truth for us in the parable for us to discover it for it to be found by us. So we need to surrender to God's word. So we have the parable, now we have the purpose. Point number two, the purpose. We see this in verses 10 and 13. So he tells it off this crowd. And then we see verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So when he was alone, the crowds are The crowds go away. They're dismissed. He's done teaching. And there's those around with him and the twelve. So there are some of his disciples, maybe some from the crowd, who are like, all right, man,
1: I didn't understand this. (gasps) Because
0: we hear this now and we think we know it. But he doesn't, they didn't have that. They didn't know. And you read a lot of other Jesus' parables and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're really hard to understand. We'll get to this uh, next week. They can be really difficult on a face, uh, a face face reading. So they stick around. Those around 10 to 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. To you has been given the secret yes. of God. Yeah. So those who stayed,
1: those who asked him, who were with him, they were
0: given the secrets. They were revealed it to them. He revealed it to them. Everything outside is in parables. Now this outside, inside language might make us uncomfortable. And I understand that. Um, those, and we're going to explain this, but those inside are those who have just sucked have asked Jesus. Those who are outside are outside because they themselves, didn't ask. They weren't curious. They weren't hungry to know it. So they made themselves outside. Verse 12. And he he, he says this, he thinks of this is a perfect thing. Uh, I'll use, in Isaiah, I'll use this this verse from Isaiah. It says, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's a very interesting quote right here. Isaiah, God, in this chapter six of Isaiah, he that he references, Jesus, Jesus, um, excuse me, God is calling the prophet Isaiah. He's calling him. He's saying, all right, you're going to go to this people. And it's this people, the people of Israel, have been rebellious for hundreds of years. They've been rebellious against God. They've been worshiping other idols. Mm. God brought them in from the promised land, and they've been disobedient. They've been going to different idols. They've been worshiping different gods. And he keeps on sending them prophets to remind them what he did, that he saved them. That he brought them out of Israel. Yeah. I mean, out of um the wilderness and out of Egypt, that he is their God, and he kept on sending them, and they were just rebellious, and so he says, Isaiah, you're going to go, and you're going to give my word, you're going to give my good news, you're going to invite them to come back to me, but he says, so many of them aren't going to get it, that's where this verse has come, they may indeed see, but not perceive, they may indeed hear, but not understand, they're not going to hear you. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. This isn't saying that God, if they would turn, they, would, they wouldn't be forgiven. No. It's saying they they are rejecting me. They're not coming to me, so they're not forgiven. God never says that if people come to him, he's not, he's not going to forgive them. That's not God at all. That is not God at all. So that's not what he's saying. But right here we see this, these two truths that seem to be sometimes in paradox. In contrast with each other, that God's sovereignty—like God is sovereignly bringing people to Himself—and He's also hardening others. But also, we see that people's responsibility, people's responsibility, people's responsibility, and many people right here are rebellious and they're they're not seeking Jesus. And He said to them, verse thirteen: Do you not understand this parable? How then, will you just understand all the parables? So these secrets, these mysteries, it's like God is, he says these parables, Jesus says these parables so that he's hiding truth in them so that we would seek them out. We'd be brought closer to God through them. We find spiritual truth by coming to Jesus and being with him and having it revealed to us. He's hiding things, not from us, but for us, to come to him, yeah. that we would come to him. Jesus isn't hiding things for us. because he, As he says also in Isaiah, Isaiah points this out too in this passage. Isaiah, at the end of his book, he says, Isaiah 62.5, he says, All day long, God says, all day long I've been holding out my hands to rebellious people. They keep on being rebellious. Turning away from these, but I'm holding out my hands to them always. Those who walk, his way is not good. They're following their own devices. So, Jesus' encouragement to us is to surrender to his word. Surrender to the king's word. Seek it out. Let's go to the third and last point the interpretation. Here we, we get the meat of it. Jesus explains it to us. We see this in verses 14 through 20. Verse 14 through 20. It says, the sower sows the word. All right, so what's he sowing? What's the seed? The seed is the word, he says, the seed is the word. And when the New Testament uses the idea of the word, it's talking about all of scripture, but especially it's talking about the word of the gospel, the word of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He's saving his people from their sin, especially. So they're sowing the word. They're sowing the gospel, yes. and, and it's being sown among us yes. right now. I pray, it's being sown through the yes. preaching of God's word yes. as we worship yes. God, yes. as we recite Scripture, yes. and read Scripture, hear Scripture. We in our Wednesday night group, the word is being sown in your daily devotions, and as you study the word, the word is being sown, yes. being sown. It's being Taught to us. It's being heard in our own personal study and sermons. Jesus' point that to his hearers is to respond to that word. It's obedience and fruit bearing to his word. Let's look at the four soils. We can see here four different soils that Jesus is now going to interpret for us. Four different ways that we can respond to God's word. Because we're always responding to it. We're always responding to it in different ways. Even if we do nothing with it, that's responding to it. The first one is the path. Jesus unpacks this in verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones that are along the path. For the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word away the word that is sown among them. This makes me think, yeah, it's the bird, right? It's this bird that goes and picks up the soil, right? What a picture of, of the devil right there. I think of uh, 2 Corinthians, where it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds. Of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the word is, is sown. And then right away, you see the devil just picks it up. How often have you seen this, maybe, when you share the truth of God's love with someone? And you see it's just like talking to a wall. Sometimes that's on our own heart too. But this is for believers also. I want us to hear it, this also. I want us to see this, that we are also in the free soils. That our heart is there. And that's, that's the way I'm hearing it too. Which ways do I come to it and respond to it that aren't fully obedient? There's a, the devil just takes it away right away. You see, from the beginning, the devil is always warring against the word. He's always warring against the word of the gospel. You see him right there at the beginning, in the garden, right. He goes to Adam and Eve, right, and he says, "Did God really say? Mm -hmm. Did He really say that? God had given them, all right. You can take from any tree, any tree you can eat from.
1: It's good. God is good and gracious."
0: He says, "All right, there's one. I'm going to test you. There's one tree." Don't take from that. Uh-huh. Don't take from the cookie dough. <laughs>
1: all right?
0: There's this one. You can have all the rest, uh-huh. but there's one. And he's making war against that, uh-huh. against God's word. Did God really say, God's not good. He's holding back from you. And the same thing, he tests Jesus in the wilderness, uh-huh. right? And what does he, God, Jesus fights back with the word. And then he, the Satan then comes back and he twists the word. And he tries to twist it. what he Right? That's what he
1: And he interprets
0: it falsely. Yes, absolutely. He'll take one thing in, in our lives and he'll say, you know what, Jonathan, you're so messed up. You don't deserve to speak to people. You don't deserve to love people, to disciple people. You don't deserve. I don't. All right? That's, a, that's half the truth, right? A wicked, messed up person. Half the truth, but been redeemed. Yes. Hallelujah. Right?
1: Yes.
0: Your sinful, messed up. All right. And yes. we are loved, accepted, justified in Christ.
1: We're yes.
0: guilt. We're guilty of this in two ways about the devil. We give the devil either not enough credit or too much credit, not enough credit, or too much credit, for many of us, we probably don't give him enough credit, he's subtle, he's crafty, right, the, the Bible says he's like a serpent, he's like an angel of light, and then there are those Christians, who also like, alright, there's a devil under every rock, you know, the devil made me do it, you know, alright, you know, I'm having a bad day, so, you know, maybe the devil, blah, blah, blah right? That could be true, okay? But if you are seeing the devil under every rock, you know, everything, something bad happens in your life, maybe you're just having a bad day. So, we want to, we don't want to be guilty of that. The, God, the devil is active, and Jesus has a good plan for your life, to prosper you, right? The devil also has plans to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. so this is a question for us do we, when we hear scripture, when we hear uh, sermons when we hear go to bible study do we hear the words of God
1: uh-huh.
0: and think about them do we think about them during the day during the week or do we just quickly dismiss them it says they like that yes. takes he immediately takes away the word do we weigh it, do we meditate on it or do we quickly dismiss it if it offends us run into the word. Let's go to the second one the rocky verse 16-17 we see the rocky soil and these are the ones Jesus says sown on rocky ground Mm. the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy man this is a Mark again It's one of his favorite words immediately immediately they receive it with joy
1: but they have no root
0: in themselves but endure for a while Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So these are those that
1: right away they have joy about it.
0: These look good. You see even maybe some transformation in someone's life. They're overjoyed at receiving the gospel, becoming a Christian. They're excited about it. Maybe you get excited about being a part of a new church or being part of all people's church, getting involved. They're interested. They become a part of a church. Maybe they start to share the gospel with others. They, maybe they get free of an addiction or something. Mm-hmm. But then, uh-huh. when a trial comes, uh-huh. when uh-huh. there's a little persecution, uh-huh. forget Whoa, I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. I thought when Jesus, Jesus would fix all my problems when I came in, right? Wow.
1: I thought my life would be using that. <laughs> oh god.
0: Maybe someone rejects you for Ooh. sharing the gospel with them. Oh, Jesus said that would happen.
1: Oh, yes he did. Yeah. Maybe
0: because of our growing holiness, maybe people make fun of us.
1: You yeah. know, yeah, you're you different than you used to be. You don't like the same thing. Hallelujah. Well, your friends uh don't want they don't want to
0: You don't want to party anymore with us.
1: Mm, That's
0: okay. You don't want to join us in our lewd joking.
1: That's it. it. This can
0: happen to each one of us in our lives. Uh These trials. Trials can be, it's not just persecution, it can be trials. Maybe chronic health issues. issues. Maybe mental health. Maybe you're dealing with a job loss. Mm -hmm. These things can be trials in our lives. I want to take away from the word bearing fruit in our Mm -hmm. lives. So they have no root in themselves. No root in themselves. Mm-hmm. They haven't they don't really abide in Christ. Yeah. Really abide in the gospel, mm-hmm. in his word. They didn't remain in the teaching in the gospel, biblical truths about him.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, the truth about Jesus, uh-huh. theology matters.
1: Yeah.
0: I hear people often talk about, oh, what you believe about God or theology? That doesn't that doesn't really matter. Hosea says people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. People are destroyed for lack of
1: knowledge.
0: It does matter. We don't want to split hairs and go on the opposite side of it either. But it does matter. What we believe about God matters the most about us than anything else. It says when tribulation or persecution arises on on the word. That that word that's used to mean affliction, trial, Anguish. Right? It's hard to be a Christian. I think everyone in here can probably say amen to that. Right? It is hard to be a Christian. Jesus said the way is narrow. The way is narrow. Oh, it's it's wide. it seems easy. Everyone else is going that way. But it's narrow. It's hard to be a Christian. But that way leads to life. You know, our... Making disciples—that's
1: hard. Uh-huh.
0: Being devoted to Jesus—it's difficult. Bible Bible study, personal Bible study, it's probably one of the hardest things you ever do, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. The devil hates That's that.
0: Being disciplined yeah. to do that, tithing, yeah. generosity yeah. to
1: others—that's
0: yeah. sacrifice. That's hard. Sacrificial love—that's mm-hmm. hard. Unconditional love? Forgiving people? Mm. Wow. Abiding and persevering in prayer? That's yeah. difficult. Cool. Most Christians around the world today and in, throughout most of history have been verbally, physically persecuted.
1: Mm-hmm. There are 200
0: million abuses worldwide. That's the number of Christians that are persecuted in some way. According to a uh, organization that does this, not only for Christians, but for all kinds of humanitarian abuses around the world. 200 million. And these, they fall away as fast as they came up. They rose, and it was exciting, but then, all right, then they're gone. They left their old life behind. Maybe there are baptisms. Maybe they put some addictions, but then they they go right back. I thought of Second Peter 2, when he says that he says this. He says the true proverb says what happened to them. A dog returns to his vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire in the mud. Jesus says in Matthew he says those who persevere to the end will be saved. Now he's not saying our salvation is by our works; Otherwise no one would be saved. But he's saying part of being truly saved is we Keep going. We sin, yes, we're frail, we're broken, we fall down, then we get back up by His grace and persevere to the end. Let us surrender to His Word. Faithfulness, as uh, Pastor Eugene Peterson once said, is faithfulness over the long haul in the same direction. That's what it is, over the long Let's look at the thorns. Number three. We see this in verse 18 through 19. And the others are ones that sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word, but the cares and the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unproofful. Enter in and choke the word. Care. That word can also mean worry, anxiety here. Worry anxiety for many things. we got many things to be worried and anxious about. Right?
1: There are many things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're anxious for security. Uh-huh. We're anxious for significance. We're anxious about the future. For security. Yeah. That we can make ends meet.
1: Uh-huh. Yes. right? That we can,
0: what are we gonna do? What are we gonna, are we gonna have a, a job? Is it a stable job? Are we gonna have a, build a career? We have a place to live.
1: Uh-huh.
0: We're worried about, we want to be significant. Is there any more core thing to the, our human heart? We want to matter. Trust. Things we want to matter. We don't want to just, when we leave this world, have leave nothing behind. And we want to be somebody to someone. Right? Yeah. And we worry about the future. What's going to happen? Trust. What's going to happen? We don't know. The future is uncertain. There could be hardship there. We could lose people. It says that then there's also the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. It's deceitful because it says that it's more important than Christ. And you need money to operate? Yes. Right? Jesus yeah. never talks about, about that. Be a sign of blessing. Uh-huh. But if we put career, if we put making money over God, obeying Him, following Him, I think about this. This is such a great um, application for us for living out the American dream—the God of comfort, of convenience, of consumerism—we mm-hmm. get tied up in all that in our day to day. Desire for other things, our desires, our dreams, our passions. We can, like, uh, like most Disney movies, just follow your heart. You know, that's the, that's the encouragement we get a lot from our culture for us to follow our heart. Man, my heart, heart. Jesus, God says, is wicked and deceitful yeah. in all things. Follow our heart to be a dangerous thing. Our hobbies can prevent us from this, from following Christ. Little things, it's all these little things that add up in our lives that I think can be these cares and worries of life. All these little things. Uh, in Song of Songs, Solomon talks about the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. There's a thousand things right vying for our affection, a thousand things that are pulling us in different ways. Just turn on your phone, that. There's advertisements. There are companies spending millions, billions of dollars yearly on advertisements that bombard you constantly on the phone when you're out. We don't even recognize them anymore. All these things can choke the word out of our lives. It can choke community out, obeying the commission, and choke out the fruit of Christ in our lives, community. Commission, Christ. We get wrapped up in other things, and then some, the first thing to go is, is maybe being a part of a church, a local church, having community.
1: Man, I can't make it alone.
0: There's no way I can make it alone. I need people to encourage me. I need you guys in my life. I need people to hold me accountable. And the commission. We, we get involved in other things, and that takes away from us. Oh, supposed to be spreading the word. I can spread the word now. Jesus has is making us fishers of men. It takes away from that high calling. And when we actually give our lives away, when we're sowing the word, we're like,
1: wow, this is what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Uh And it takes us away, especially from Christ. Joy of knowing him. We are made to know him. I think of people right now, some people come to mind in my life that I knew in college, high school, throughout the years I think of Matt who started well he had some real transformation in his life he got really involved in, in church I and mean, then he just started to drift away I think of Tyler who probably had memorized more scripture than most of us in this room as a high schooler who knew so much who, who went to, uh, ended up going to Harvard he was incredibly smart he started off really well but then other things grab his attention. And by the time he was in college, he had stopped following Christ. You see, there, there are three dangers that can easily, I think, affect us in our culture today. We can think that we can be a Christian without the church. That's a big one now. Yeah. And COVID really exposed that. Yeah. We can think we could be a Christian without being part of the church second thing is we define, we define our own morality. We define the relationship with God, says <laughs> not the word. Another thing, third thing, is that we can do this Christian life alone. We don't need the help from other brothers and sisters wow. in the church, from other things, Godly leadership. But instead, Jesus said that we should surrender to the yeah. Let's look at the fourth and final one though. The good, the good soil. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. They hear the word, they accept it, and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I tell people, hey, you, you want to see transformation in your life? You, you want something that's actually going to turn your life upside down? It's going to mess you up? Just read God's word. That's messed mess me up. More than anything, this messed me up. It's that's difficult because it, it's like a sword. It says a two-edged sword, yes. but it changes you. It breaks you down to build you up. Yes. Yes. James talks about there's an implanted seed yes. in us. He also talks about there's the one who hears and does the word. Yes. That's what this person. The scripture is like a mirror. It shows you who you are. It shows you how messed up you are. But then the word it says, it says, they bear fruit. They bear fruit, and this is God's work in us. It's the fruit of the spirit. I think of Galatians 5:22. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. He bears that in us. Yes, he bears that in us. I think of another place where it talks about um, Psalm 1. It says, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who walks not on the counsel of the wicked. But his delight is in the word of God, in the law of God. And he uses also a, a uh, na- analogy from nature there. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. His fruit always is there. We might not see it. It looks different in different seasons, but it's there. That's what when we respond to the word, he will bear fruit in our lives. He will. The work of the kingdom is done in secret it's a mystery. You know when you plant a seed there you're like where did it go? It's so small. Right? It's a mystery how it works. It's there and then suddenly it it dies and then it grows. Right? It's it's really interesting. That there's the thing about the good soil is its receptivity. It receives it. There's humility. It's open to change. Uh-huh. It surrenders. Yes. Yes.
1: Uh,
0: commentator on this, it says, the fullest enjoyment of the fruitfulness of the word is available only to those who interfere with it least. The other soil, there inter- is interference with the word. With this, is, it does nothing. The word does the work, not the soil. It's not that they do anything more that they don't do things to get in the way of God's Word. They decide not whether the Word will achieve its purposes, or whether we will enjoy its achievement, or find ourselves in opposition to it. It's the daily, monotonous, slow, farm-like Word. It takes time, right? We don't change overnight. The Word works on us daily. That's why, as a church, we go through passages of Scripture. We go through books of the Bible. We look at God's Word. What does it say? That's the thing that's going to change us. And a farmer, he tills the ground, he plants the seed, and then he waits. And he waits. And he waits. He waits for God to work. The sun, yes, trust. For the sun and the rain to come and for God to bring it. We're passive recipients of the Word, like a field. We just receive it and then let Him do the work. I think of times... My life uh, Chelsea and my wife um, when uh, we were involved in a, in a church, ended up being really unhealthy for us. And part of it was they they preached these sermons and it was all on different topics, and they used the word as a proof text. And it was it was exhausting of how it, we always had to do more to try harder. And I remember we were coming out of that, and we were just sitting under the word, teaching the word, and the, and the preacher just would share the gospel with us every time. We'd go deeply in what God's word said, as we went, he went through books of the Bible, and we were just, oh, just a steady diet. Each week, each week we'd show up and we would just hear the word. And God was changing us. We were passive. Yes, we we. We take God's word and we apply it to our hearts. But we're the past ones. We're being built up, convicted, challenged, rebuked by God's word. And He gives us also grace and grace and a foundation. Yes. Rather than as a receiving the word of the gospel with willing really and fertile hearts, we can have it be stolen away. Without the root choked out. But Jesus encourages us to respond, to his surrender to His word. I want to finish with this Isaiah 6, where Jesus quotes this that they're be hearing but never seen. Where He quotes that uh, Isaiah here sees this amazing in the year of King Uzziah. He says, I, see, I saw the Lord. He sees this amazing vision of the Lord upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of wow. his robe fills his temple. Yes. It's beautiful. Yes. And the angels yes. are saying, holy, holy, holy yes. the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is yes. full of his glory. Yes. But then it says, quite oh, right, woe is me. Yes, because I'm a man of yes. unclean lips and I dwell among people that are sinful. They're wicked. They're people of unclean lips. And then the seraphim goes, the angel has to go and put a, a burning coal to his mouth. Purify him. There has to be sacrifice. Your sin has to be atoned for, he says. And then he hears a voice, that he says, he says, all right, who's going to go? Who am I going to send? Right? And he says, all right, I'll go. But if we're real, how often of us will say no? Really? I'm going to go to people that's rebellious that's sinful? I'm the one, my heart is the one that's sinful and rebellious. But see, Jesus is the one, the true messenger, yeah. the one without sin, that he comes to cleanse us. Yeah. He's the one who said, all right, I'll come down from heaven uh-huh. and I'll go. Uh-huh. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank
1: you. That without
0: his soft touch, no one can come to him. Yeah. He invites us to come. Mm-hmm. He changes our hard-housed hearts from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh to receive his word. He does that and we just respond. That's right.